Regardless of your technical expertise, sooner or later, you're going to be asked to do a presentation. And preparation is the key to success. Before you reach for PowerPoint, there are a few things you need to know. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and all you curious individuals. And of course, utmost in respect to all of you. Hope you're all doing well. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. In this episode, this time I've got the pleasure of talking with Julian Mills, Expert Program Senior Delivery Manager. How are you today, Julian? Hey, Chuck. How's it going? Thank you for having me on your show today. I'm actually fantastic. I'm great. You know why? Because I've recently closed off the latest CMA, EMEA program. Oh, congratulations. Another successful cohort. It was. Thank you. Thank you. It was. And we'll talk a little bit about that, that in a second. You bet. But the best thing, probably not for your listeners, but for me, is the fact that I'm actually taking two weeks vacation from this Friday. So I'm in a very, very good mood. Couldn't have timed this better. <laughs> well, by the time this comes out, you can listen to it on holiday. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. That's right. I do a lot of podcasts listening while I'm traveling. Why not? <laughs> Well, as I said, welcome to Breakpoint. And before we begin, I always like to get to know our guest. You have not been on before, but your colleagues, Shelly and Dan, have been on previous episodes. So it's time to round out the trifecta. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Chuck, of course. So look, on, on a personal level, I'm married and have three young adult girls. I've got two female cats and a dog that always knows uncannily when his mealtime is it's 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 3 p.m my time here in the uk and in fact i've just <laughs> fed him so he's not to annoy us because it is three o'clock here um and so every time uh, two two thirty comes along he comes up on my chair stands up on his hind legs and starts pouring at me saying it's time for his dinner or his break we call it breakfast how, how does does he adjust to bst i mean how does that work <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but he knows he knows what what time it is. It's uncanny. It's um uh, yeah, it's um uncanny. So I've had the privilege um, to to have lived uh, and worked in a number of countries. So I was, I guess, born and raised in in Spain. Went to university in Australia, and then stayed there for twenty five years before moving back to Europe and settling back here in the UK for the last ten years. Professionally, I've been in IT all my all my life. I started off as a programmer, and then finding my sweet spot as a program, a project manager, a program manager, and the role that I've had for about twenty odd years, working for organisations such as the the Commonwealth Bank in Australia, EDS that is no longer, Oracle, PeopleSoft that is no longer, CA that is no longer. I don't know whether that's a pattern. <laughs> Julian. That I, sounds like I, a, a scorched earth <laughs> policy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I've been around a little while, and and in fact, I've landed uh, landed here at ServiceNow, and it's been eight years, so uh, eight good years. I'm just waiting for Bill's email of uh, anniversary recognition to come through in the in the email. It's it's uh, in in the in the mail, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a great eight years. Those are always fun, aren't they? When you get that email from Bill with the animated gift signature, I, I got right. mine on the seventh of June. It was it was a lot of fun. It's a nice touch. I like that. It's a, so, it's a nice touch. How did you start off in service now? So, uh, yeah. So I started off with uh, within professional services, the consulting arm of service now. 
as an engagement manager, you know, carrying on from the project management mantle that I had before. So implementing solutions for customers and uh, and then moved on. So I spent about three years doing that and then I moved on into the enablement services. So providing material for our, our uh, consultants to consume and get, get up to speed with new products that were coming out, et cetera, et cetera. I also taught our internal uh, three and a half day engagement consulting class, which again, uh, got, got our consultants ready to face the, the big wide world there of customer implementations. Then I joined the training, our training organization as a curriculum manager and finally dropped into my current role, which I've been doing for the last two, two, two and a half years. And as you said, alongside my co-conspirators, Dan and Shelley. Um, and it's uh, I run the six-month certified master architect program here in, in the EMEA region. Um, and the one I referred to earlier that we had just closed off. Congratulations on that again. And congratulations to everybody who participated and went through that. It is a lot of work, but it is very prestigious. This is our highest level certification we've got, correct? That is correct. It is, like you say, it is a lot of work. It's six months. It's a six-month program. Uh, it takes uh, it takes a, a final exam, which is really tough. Anybody that has gone through it will attest to that. But again, everybody that's gone through it has said it's a marvelous program. Not not that I'm saying that. That's what they're saying, <laughs> and it's a it's a great uh, great program. I love seeing all those little shield icons come up on LinkedIn. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> the um, if anybody's interested in that program, I'll have a link in the show notes in the in the description on YouTube, etc. Real quick, verbally, it's devlink.sn slash CMA will take you to the page that tells you all about it and how to register. But be warned, it is a pricey package, so but it is well worth it. A lot of our partners are getting into that, right? Totally, yeah. We've got a, a, um, a big proportion of our alumni, as we, as we talk about them, uh, being partners. Absolutely, yes. All right, let's turn a little more personal for a second. You mentioned your family. When you're not at work, what do you enjoy doing? Yes. So I think um, life has changed a little bit over the last uh, number of years. I've got three three girls. They're young adults now. And I'm finding that I'm getting a little bit more time to myself, less <laughs> Ubering around uh, over the weekends. And so uh, I, I get time to do stuff that I, I want to do. I am a frustrated landscape photographer, though. Frustrated because I never seem to have the time <laughs> for one reason or another. I never seem to have the time to either take the photos or if I do take the photos, don't have the time to actually process them to my liking. And also living in the UK, I don't know whether you know this, but the sun doesn't seem to be here very often. So I, I like, because it's landscapes, I do like to have a nice, a nice light for my photos. And that is not often the case here in the UK. It was in Australia when I used to live over there. I did some photography there and that was amazing. The light is amazing there, but but well, you know the, the you got to look at it differently, Julian. The clouds avoid shadows, so you get a nice even lighting. I, I learned this from a filmmaker. Is they do a lot of their filming in in when there's overcast because it doesn't cause any shadows, and they don't have to put up secondary fill lights. And so think you of the positives. Moody, yeah, yeah, you get the <laughs> mood and the atmosphere absolutely. Or if it's really cloudy, you go black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that can be very effective. Absolutely, yes. Um, and, and to augment that too, I, I've actually just recently got into drone photography. So that, that's photography and videography, right? So the, these drones these days have amazing cameras. And so the, the shots that you can get from up above 
are just spectacular. They do. My son-in-law got one, and I am amazed at what he can do with that thing. It's just, and we've just been flying it around for fun. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. The gizmos these days are getting smaller and smaller. Cameras are getting better and better. The lenses are just superb. Sunsets are a lot of fun too. Just watching sunsets from the air. It's like being on your own private hill, but you don't have to climb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, you, you've also dabbled with a few other things during this COVID era, I understand. Yeah, well, you know, you've got to keep busy, right? So I do. I did do some wine uh, making. The the kit kind, you understand. It's not a vineyard that I've got in my backyard, just the stuff that you buy <laughs> sure. from a shop. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you've got to be a little bit patient because obviously you need to get the, the wine to, to uh, become wine. But um, we've had, um, I would say, maybe 50 50% of uh, good wine and wine that mm, you just go straight down the sink. Cooking so, wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we so tell everybody with bad beers. Like, yeah, just put it on your brats. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And and uh, in speaking of beer, I also do some uh, beer making. That's um, that's a lot easier. I think the, the end result is a lot more consistent. Uh, but lately, uh, at Christmas, I got a, a candle making kit and I've had a bit of fun sort of going through that process of making candles. It's actually relatively easy from a starting perspective. Um, you use a little bit of imagination to, to then get start to be a little bit more sophisticated with the types of candles that you do. But yeah, having, you know, three, three girls and uh, my wife in the house, I've always got a endless supply of demand. Um, so there's always a need for a candle, a scented candle, a colored candle. Of course. And they make great uh, gifts. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And the, and the kit came with some nice little tins that you could use. So it was all, it's all very well packaged. You, you busy man. Anything else? <laughs> Time for anything else? Not, not much, and in particular, not now with the COVID. Although things are, are opening up here in the UK, but um, you know, being here in the UK at the foot of the, uh, Europe is um, is great, right? Because you can you know take a two hour flight and be anywhere in Europe, or most anywhere in Europe, uh, and spend a weekend away. Um, you know, new culture, new food, new sights, new everything, and it's just a you know it's just a great thing to to have at our doorstep. And that's one of one of the minor reasons why we moved over. Australia. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you for sharing your uh, insights as to who Julian is. Uh, Let's pivot now and focus on a common use case for many of our listeners that they either have come up against or going to come up against. The old, tell us about the solution you've built. I mean, that's that's a common one. I'm sure there are many others where our listeners would be in the position to do a presentation, but I've seen this one done well. And I've seen it done poorly yeah, f- mm. from, from our hackathons to, to C-suite meetings, honestly. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the listener has been asked to present because they are the subject matter expert. You built it, you're the team lead, whatever. Now, I know the temptation, even for me, is to go grab PowerPoint and start putting pictures and bullet lists and, you know, What's what's the best way to start this? Yeah, it's it's a good question, Chuck. And in fact, it's one of the things that we do cover off in the CMA program. Hint, hint. Uh, it's <laughs> it's something that is so critical for the people that we're trying to get out of the program, uh, being able to communicate appropriately at a at a senior level. 
And of course, to do that effectively, you need to be prepared. So just like painting the prep steps as much hard and boring work as they may be, they will determine the success or otherwise of your presentations, right? So imagine you're going to paint the activities of spreading the drop cloths, washing down the walls you're painting, filling those holes and cracks, interminable type stuff, sanding them down, <laughs> applying the primer, applying the painter's tape to protect the areas you don't want painted, cutting in. All of that stuff is the prep work that you need to, to get done to then finally, you know, get out that roller and plaster that paint on your walls that looks so nice. But without that prep work, that painting is just not going to be as effective. So I think just as with the three L's of property, you know, where you have location, location, location as the mantra, we have the three P's of presentation delivery in my, in my view, which is preparation, preparation, preparation. Yes. So, Forget, forget PowerPoint, right? PowerPoint, Keynote, or Prezi for the, for, for the starting point, that's not, the, that's not where you want to start. You want to, you want to do it because it's tempting, enticing. That's where the cool stuff happens. But if you want to be remembered for your presentation, if you want your audience to remember and take away your message, you simply need to prepare and you need to prepare well. Okay, so what are some of these preparation things we should be thinking about? So there's a couple of key questions that you need to ask yourself, and that's going to open up a whole raft of uh, other sub-questions and things to, to consider. But simply, there's a couple of things. Who is your audience going to be? You know, is it going to be teammates, your colleagues? Is it going to be customers, other interested parties, randoms, maybe such as, you know, people that you might bring in at a, a knowledge conference, for example? Um, you need to understand how senior they are, how experienced they are, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one, one, one aspect, the audience. The other aspect is the purpose. What are, what are you trying to achieve with this presentation, right? Is it to persuade? Is it to convince? Is it to teach? Is it to inform? You need to be very clear in your mind because that's going to determine how you put this together um, of the purpose of your presentation. Excellent. Those two. Who's your audience and what's the purpose? And that's, is that it? I'm done preparing. <laughs> okay. Let's, 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 not quite. Okay, let's, let's back up and go to the first one. Know your audience. Why is this so important? Why is it at the top of your list? It's absolutely crucial in my view to know who your audience is or will be, right? It is going to be key in determining several factors when designing the presentation in terms of, you know, what motivates them? What might they already know about the topic? What language do they understand? Not just talking, you know, whether it's English or American or German or whatever, the, the, the language specific to the topic as well. What is their typical role? What roles do they hold? Uh, how senior these people are, your audience are? How experienced are they? So these are all factors to consider as you finally do get keyboard to PowerPoint and start designing, creating the visual aspect of the presentation. They will have a deep, deep impact on how you think about the talk track and it, that accompanies those visual slides. So it's important, so critical to get that right to start with. Oh, so many stories with each one of those bullet items. <laughs> the experiences that have gone right and the things that have gone so yeah, all pear-shaped and wrong <laughs> way is is extensive. We could we could be sitting here lamenting for weeks. 
Well, it's um, painful, and, and I think this is what, what's so valuable is that these these sort of key points that we make in here are simple prep steps that you can make. That you know, it's not necessarily going to guarantee that you're going to have a, um, a a full round of applause at the end, but at least you're going to have a good idea of how you're going to present, what are you presenting to. And, and I like the one about how experienced are they? Because you may have to back up and explain some nomenclature, some acronyms that may just fall out of your mouth without realizing it. The three-letter acronyms are prolific in, well, not only the military, but in technical roles as well. And if you start saying SLAs and APIs and and, and you're talking ACLs. to... ACLs. Exactly. And people who are not familiar with the platform or... Uh, you may want to just have a slide dedicated to these terms and say, or stop and explain them the first time and say, this is what an API is. It helps this application talk to that application or this system talk to that system. And we use those as a conduit to transfer information. Okay, absolutely. let's move on. So don't be afraid to dumb it down based on your audience. You may have to spend a few extra seconds, but it will pay dividends if they can visual that. Otherwise, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other, and they're going to be looking for the last page in your presentation going, how much does this cost me? Exactly. Yep. Now, I do remember a story. You you brought this up. I I said there were a number of stories in those bullet items. There's one that came to mind that my brother told me not too long ago. He was asked to do a scuba presentation to a bunch of 10-year-old kids. And he said, now, before I show you all of the equipment, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the history of scuba diving. And one little boy raises his hand. He says, Mr. Tomasi, what's history? (laughs) (laughs) Don't underestimate your audience. Let's talk about those desired outcomes because you mentioned is it to inform? Is it to educate? Is it to uh, influence or inspire? Or what is the outcome of this? How do you find that out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's several aspects to this, but typically, it, depending if it's a if it's a, a managed presentation, if you haven't been invited to to come and, and deliver a presentation, you have probably been told, right? There's a brief that you have to follow. This is the brief. Please uh, present to this. You may have been given a verbal uh, brief. Yeah, as well. So it's um, it just depends. But if this is something that you're driving, then it's up to you to come up with those outcomes, what that purpose is, right? And these will be influenced in, in some way by the audience that you're going to be accepting or coming into to see, hear you. If the outcome is to gain user adoption of a new piece of software, for example, then you're going to pitch the message differently to an experienced audience that... Uh, you're providing a run-through of the latest new features, for example. So they're going to be two different audiences because they've got different purposes in mind. One's the new software, the other one are the experience people with uh, new release or new features that are being added. So there's there's different purposes to those two presentations. Be extremely clear, therefore, you know, in terms of the outcomes that you're working to. We're typically biased ourselves, and we're going to be tending to talk about what is interesting to us Amen. personally, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily what would be interesting to the audience. So if you want to be impactful, focus on these desired outcomes, focus on that purpose, given the audience that you're expecting. Yeah, and I saw this uh, in, in our recent hackathon uh, that we had for CreatorCon. There were some great things produced 
But the purpose of the presentation completely missed the mark. And several teams didn't even show the solution. So they were just talking heads and had some slides to show, you know, here's the flow in flow designer. And frankly, I never really got excited over what it could do for me. So there's, there's, there's this storytelling that has to happen. So Julian, I'm passionate about managing my time. So tell me more about the importance of the presenter to know their time constraints. Yes. I think as humans, we're actually pretty bad at gauging how long things are going to take without actually having some form of experience at it first, right? So Mm -hmm. whatever the situation, there will be an expectation of how long you're going to be taking for the presentation. It could be a five-minute update in a status meeting, for example, or it could be a 40-minute presentation of knowledge. could be a two-hour technical run-through with a customer's architects, for example. In every single case, you are going to be bound by time, unfortunately, and the expectation is that you will do your job in that time, the presentation itself. Or less. So the only way... I want to add that, or less. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And there are a couple of other considerations we'll we'll cover off as well, but the, the only real way you're going to know how long your presentation is going to take is to rehearse it right um and by rehearsing i don't just mean in your head that's the easy way of doing it or the wrong way of doing it because uh, you just will not get the right effect you don't do it properly also guilty <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's not the way to do it the way to do it is you physically speak the words out loud and you go through the slides as you would in the actual event. So it's critical that you do that seriously. And there's this weird phenomenon that it always takes longer in the quote unquote production release. I can practice something 14 times and go, this will take me 13 minutes or 42 minutes or whatever. Every time I get on stage or I get in front of the camera or whatever at the, up to the podium and it takes longer so budget that time in and be aware if you need to spend time for Q&A. That'll shorten your presentation time too. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think too, it's obvious, but I'll say it anyway, right? Um, don't leave your rehearsal until an hour before the actual presentation because no. you will not have sufficient time to adapt, edit, et cetera, et cetera. So look, like just like the painting example earlier, making the effort to prepare is going to improve your final delivery significantly mm-hmm. um, now look we're not we're not expecting everybody to be ted talkers it's interesting to note though that for that kind of delivery speakers follow a nine-step process that includes at least at least 15 rehearsals so that when they present they're flawless now that may be your style you may want to be that flawless person but I think the point here is that you do need to practice to be at least um, acceptable in terms of delivering a good presentation. What? No turning your back to the audience and reading the slides to them? <laughs> oh, that's that's a good point for another day, I think, Chuck. Exactly. <laughs> That'll be the delivery message we present later. <laughs> We're still preparing. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Right? Uh, we've, we've only just started preparing. Are we going to be doing 15 rehearsals for a five-minute status update? I mean, that seems a bit excessive. It does, yeah. No, it's horses for courses, as I usually say, right? So obviously for a five-minute update, you may do a couple of rehearsals Mm -hmm. to make sure that at least you've got the right bullet points in your head that you want to emphasize as part of your presentation. And, And I love what you said about 
talk through it, talk through it because what you initially wrote down, and especially if you did this a few weeks ahead of time, do it again a few times right before. I do this every time and go, what was I thinking two weeks ago? <laughs> These two things are completely out of order and would sound much better this way. We did this with the keynote for CreatorCon. We were switching things around right up to the last minute. As many times as I read that through, I just there was always something inside me that said, this feels awkward. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And then I tried reordering it and it came out much better. So what, what about those longer presentations? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you're looking at those longer presentations, this is about rehearsing and, and understanding, uh, going back, I guess, to the original point about be aware of where you are on in terms of the presentation so that you do end and finish on time, right? So having that, that knowledge of your presentation will allow you to flex, uh, change tacks, maybe skip some slides if you needed to, just in case you're running short on time for whatever reason, you may have more questions than you'd anticipated. You took a little bit longer to your point to deliver the message than you had originally anticipated. So be very aware at all points throughout your presentation as to where you are. That gets kind of to the delivery thing too. And we'll, we'll get this in a future podcast is have a clock in front of you that you can see to know if you are on track or not. I've been in 90 minute presentations where I am 50% of the way through the deck and I have 15 minutes left to deliver. I went, uh-oh, it's time to put the accelerator on the floor. It, uh, how, know how to shorten the message when you need to. I went, okay, I'm going to give you the message. Also, if you've got interactive questions, that's going to throw your clock off dramatically. Know how to control those questions. There may be a time, and we're kind of getting into the delivery, but you need to plan for this. Are you planning to save Q&A for the end or are you planning to have questions throughout because if you have questions throughout you're going to have to really watch that clock and know how to park some of those questions say great question long answer let's follow up afterward great points there chuck i mean it's it's key right and that's all part of your rehearsal and preparation stages as we we're talking about now so the whether the, your presentation is a, a typical presentation where you do allow question and answers or whether it's uh it, you don't and it's just a speech then obviously you're going to prepare those slightly differently but certainly for those um, normal presentation styles where you are, are encouraging those questions, uh, then you, you need to prepare for them. I mean, it's interesting that we, with the CMA program, we advise our cohort members, they do tons of presentations as part of the program. Um, but the, the final, the big presentation is their exam. They've got to deliver a, a presentation in one hour and we tell them, we advise them that the content for that presentation is basically half an hour's worth. So we get them to just, uh, you know, if they were to deliver that content just by themselves with no interruptions, that would be half an hour because we want the other half an hour to be available for questions. So that is something that you need to work out, figure out whether, you know, you need to have that, that much um space for questions or whether you're going to just allow one or two questions that's up to you or up, up to the organizers but uh, it's important to bear in mind what is the expectation and what how you want to drive that conversation or that presentation exactly it's like i like to say nobody ever got fired for going five minutes under 
They, they, they actually appreciate that when you're sitting in a 75 minute keynote and it gets done at 60 minutes, they go, great, we can go to the restroom before our next session. You know, that's, that's better than sitting there at 90 minutes and everybody's squirming, looking at their clocks and, you know, things are just off schedule. It's like the doctor's office. Once the first patient runs late, everybody the rest of the day is going to run late. So let's talk about a little bit of time management. What if, and I've seen this happen, what if you're given 15 minutes on the agenda and someone before you used up 10 more than they should have. Do you get 15 minutes? It's tough. It's tough. Uh, I think, you know, pull out the professional in you and uh, do it in five and get the agenda back on track. As much as it may be painful, as much as you may want to give that presentation, it is incumbent on you to bring that presentation or that session back on, on track and you can reduce your presentation points. And if you've rehearsed to the extent that I'm suggesting, then you know precisely the point, the purpose, and you can then tailor those five minutes exactly to the to what you want to deliver. Right. So you have you have that knowledge of the presentation. You can focus those five minutes to the points that you need to uh, deliver. Wow. Julian, that there is so much to think about before building a presentation. What about the venue as we start to go from virtual or maybe virtual as part of this back to in person there's there's so many variables involved how does that impact the planning and preparation we're still in prep here chuck right so yeah venue is an important aspect of any prep uh for a presentation so it's it's a biggie so many considerations really around the venue will it be in person to your point or be in virtual so Hopefully that'll be a proper choice that we have in the in the future. Hopefully not the too distant future that we can have that choice, whether it's in person mm-hmm. or virtual. But um, given that we've been conditioned the last year or so to do most of our presence, presentations virtually, I'll start with that and then I'll, I'll sort of change tack and talk about uh, in person presentations. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, given virtual presentations, then that it's been the norm, right? The last twelve months or so, uh, we probably we're so used to them. We probably now no longer think about this as being something special or different, and we might skip this step. But I think it's important that you do take a, a little moment to think about some of the the points I'll, I'll be making to make sure that you've got those covered to give the audience the best experience possible. So uh, if your presentation is to be virtual, then I think there's a couple of aspects that you want to think about. So will the audience be able to connect to the meeting tool? You know, do they have it? Do they have to download it? Can they connect via mobile? Is it available in that way so they can do it while traveling or doing other chores? Um, How will you manage the audience? Are you going to be uh, expecting them to open chat or are they going to be interrupting you? Are they going to you open their mics? Will it be simply a voiceover? Uh, so you just talk all the time and maybe it's just a, a chat conversation on the side. So there's a couple of things to consider there. There's also the bandwidth issue. Some, some of us are lucky enough to have reasonable bandwidth. Other people in other countries, not so much. So is that going to be an issue in terms of what you're going to be um, presenting. It could be video, it could be audio. There could be other tools that you use that chew up bandwidth uh, incrementally. That could be a problem. Whiteboarding, 
um, more cameras, higher resolution cameras, all that sort of stuff takes takes a, a moment to reflect on and see whether that's going to be an impact or going to provide any issues with your audience. Again, know your audience. Do you know the technology? If you've been asked to present and, and provided with a, a different set of tools because that's the, the way the presenter or the organisation is wanting you to present, are you familiar with those tools? Be able to go from sharing to chatting to um, muting to whatever it is that you need to do nice and seamlessly and professionally. Oh, that's, I can't tell you how hard it is to watch presentations and see somebody fumbling around with PowerPoint (laughs) is in the wrong mode. PowerPoint is in edit. PowerPoint is showing me the presenter's slides and notes. you, You clearly didn't practice and don't know your tools. I mean, I've seen this at senior VP levels and like, you you should know how to present by this point in your career. Uh, it's disappointing. So it, it's odd that uh, it's somewhat humorous that the technical people know their way around PowerPoint better than some of the others. It's a dead giveaway, Chuck, right? I mean, if, if you can see people that are struggling to share their screen and uh, share the wrong side of PowerPoint, and, you know, it's obvious that they haven't practiced this, and that's a, a, key, right. um, a key no-no, really. And then one final point here, Chuck, yeah. is is the virtual presentation or virtual presenting, for whatever reason, always seems to take a lot longer than doing it in person. And so it, it's it's also you get fatigued, particularly when you we've got the situation where we've had to do virtual presentations for for twelve months. You know, people are Zoom fatigued, if you like, and so it it pays to be cognizant of that and provide uh, breaks if it's going to be a longer session, uh, provide people the capability to sort of wind down a little bit before you, you know, you, you carry on. So it's something that to, you need to keep in mind as well. Great point. It's not just tiring for the presenter, it's tiring for the viewer as well. That We, we discovered this at CreatorCon. We shortened our, a lot of our breakout sessions, a lot of our labs, a lot of the content down so people could consume it easier without getting that Zoom fatigue, as you called it. Okay, what if, we talked about virtual, what if it's in person? Yeah, so this is something that people skip all the time. And I was I was uh, guilty of it myself when I first started. But I do strongly recommend that you visit the venue in person. Or if that's not possible for travel re- distance reasons, whatever, um, get somebody to take photos of the room that you're going to be presenting in. Excellent tip. Right, so that's going to give you details of the layout, potential seating arrangements, where the windows are, where the light's going to come in, where the projector's going to be situated, uh, where the screen is, where the entry doors are. You know, you don't want the entry door being behind you as a presenter with people streaming in mid- midway through your presentations. Um, you know, any obstructions that you can't move, whether it's pillars or cupboards, maybe some plants that are too big to move, right? So really try to figure out what what are what you can do with that room where the things are so that you have a good feel as to how you're going to be able to deliver that presentation in its best format yes it, i've i've often gone to snugs and developer meetups and whatnot and show up plenty early i mean at least an hour early because you're going to have av issues to deal with you, you like you said julian you may don't feel uncomfortable if you need to move the podium from the left side of the floor to the right side of the floor because that's a better view of the audience. You know, that sort of thing is this is your presentation there. Make it as effective as possible 
Don't go, oh, well, you know, this is the customer's conference room. I really shouldn't. Yes, you should. And, and if you don't, it reflects on you as a bad presenter. Absolutely. So the key point is that if you're able to make changes to the room, sometimes it's a bit difficult to do so. But if you're able to make changes to the room to to make the presentation more effective, then absolutely and totally do so. And there's different layouts that you may encounter. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that depends on the purpose. Again, you know, is it going to be a training uh presentation type style you know so you may want to think about what is it a class loop classroom setup where you just have you know rows of desks and chairs is it going to be just a a speech presentation type style where you just have rows and rows of seats or it could be a variation you may have in fact you might have you've got group working embedded as part of your presentation you may want to have circular tables with chairs around them dotted around the room, right? So it just depends really on the purpose of, of your delivery on your presentation. And you can then make these changes or, or set up the, the room and the desks and the chairs according to that. Yeah, we've been we've done a number of workshops where we get to the hotel and they didn't put in the round tables for us. I went, okay, that's why you show up early. You know, if if class starts at nine, you show up at about seven. To get those, because you're going to have to find the facilities person. You're going to have to find and get those things swapped out. They take time and you want it ready to go when your attendees show up. Absolutely. So alongside that, you know, in terms of the capabilities of the room, make sure that you also understand what is the capability of your machinery that you're bringing in the context of the room. So I had a situation some time ago when I was running projects as an engagement manager with ServiceNow where I had my laptop with me, you know, shiny new presentation. I was going to go there and deliver a kickoff. And um, this was several years ago. So I'm showing my age, I guess. But it was several <laughs> years ago where, you know, 25 different cables, dongles and connectors were not something you carried in your bag. And so when I got there, they didn't have the correct connector for my laptop to the projector. It still happens today. It's like, oh, you've got a multi-display adapter port, DMI, whatever. <laughs> Genie dongle dover. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't connect to the network. We hadn't sort of sorted out that access. It was just a kickoff meeting, right? So there was no way I was, a, it was government, a government customer. So I couldn't connect to their network. So I couldn't share my slides like that. I couldn't use a memory stick to stick into the local uh, desktop that was in the room or even to give to one of the other uh, people in the kickoff. You're killing all my backup plans. I'm curious to know what you did. <laughs> um, I, 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 to be honest, I can't remember what I did. I probably had a, sent my slides in a, in um, uh, printed out, and I just shared those as best I could. I, I would have asked for a whiteboard. Wheel in a whiteboard. I'm going to draw the pictures real fast that I had on my powerpoints. Yeah, it wasn't my best start in any way, shape, or form. So lesson learned, right? So always try and, and get there to your point early, as early as you can. Make sure that all the all the material, all the techie stuff is ready for you and you know what you can and can't do with your laptop, your dongles, your USB sticks, etc. Et yes, I have a bag of wires like that now. Wow. <laughs> there's, there's USB to anything or HDMI to nothing and... Memory <laughs> sticks galore. It's because uh, somebody inevitably, if it's not me, somebody else will ask, oh, do you have a, you know, an Apple to HDMI lightning to it's like, yes, yes, I do. Or we can put two <laughs> things together to make one. So it's, it's often helpful to have that along with 
the things you don't normally think about, a clicker. So you can you know, walk up to an audience member and a- answer their question while still advancing your slides. I have two clickers because often one, for whatever reason, fails me. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend a laser pointer. We'll get more into the presentation part of it. But the preparation is be ready for those unexpected things. In, in Julian's case, I always have a, like a plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A. Get some adapters so that you can connect to their projector. Plan B, right. connect to the network or use their laptop to connect to your OneDrive or Dropbox or whatever account. Plan C, have it on a memory stick. Plan D, have some printouts, at least you know those key visuals that you want, because ultimately the slides are a visual aid. You are telling a story, you are making a point. Again, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit into the presentation part of it. but So Julian, as we were talking, it, it dawned on me that presentations, especially for this audience, you'll love this. Presentations are a lot like integrations. Ooh. You are communicating between one party and another, a person to person or person to group or group to group, whatever it is. The presentations are like integrations. I need to get you to recognize what my vision is. I need to get you to agree with what my opinion is. I need to get your approval. You know, that's, that's really what it is. It's all about protocols. We've got to, and and before you do any integration, there's a host of questions that are asked. You know, is this unidirectional, bidirectional? Is it nightly? Is it daily? You know, if you want, I've got that whole thing aligned up on our integrations video series overview. But it's the you were talking about the preparation about you know, where are you going to be presenting? Who is the audience? And I'm thinking this is just like an integration. It really is. Absolutely, it's cool. That's that's. You came that all by yourself, came up with that all by yourself. I did. That's just my technical mind always in gear. That music no, that, is always in the back of my mind. <laughs> so cool. That is so, so two point. Yes. So if that helps any of our listeners, you know, start to recognize presentations, you go, hey, this is just an integration. I'm I'm communicating. I'm I'm moving information from one place to another. And you definitely want a stateful transition so you get acknowledgement that your information was received properly. Ooh, how's that for a tie-out? <laughs> uh, I really wish we had more time to talk about the technology in this episode, but we are going to make this a multi-parter. This one is running a little longer, but more good stuff. Oh, Julian, it has been a joy. And like I said, so many stories this conjures up. Yes. <laughs> we we could go on for a long time over many pints. Uh, thank you for giving us a lot to think about in terms of the preparation. And we are definitely, definitely going to have to come back and get together on this topic. Because like I said, there is just so much more to be had here. And we're just preparing, right? We're just preparing at this stage. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a lot on pre- preparation. I know there were a lot of bullet items in there. I'll try to get as much of that into the show notes as I can. So if you, you know, were listening to this and go, oh, I really need to do that, we'll have a way to copy and paste it out of there somewhere. So right. before we let you leave, can you let the listener know how to get in touch with you? Uh, it just just via email, julian.mills at servicenow.com is the easiest, most ex- expedious way of getting in touch with me thank you very much and thank you wonderful listener for joining us today don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcast you can find them at community.servicenow.com under the resources menu or my own personal favorite shortcut devlink.sn slash podcasts subscribe to this podcast it's free and you get it automatically delivered to you if you do that in your favorite podcatching client again thank you so much for sharing with us today julian 
great session, Chuck. Thank you for inviting me. And if, if you will have me back, um, I'm, I'd be very happy to, to do so. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening.